John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 671.NU2655, certificate number 26085. Jefferson, state of. We have no representation in northern rural California that's effective in the state. In a sense, the three major urban areas dictate politics for the entire state. Our children are leaving, our economy is crashing, we're taxed, every breath we take is regulated, and we feel that a free state will cure that. How much time have you spent in Northern California? A fair amount, but very little between the Bay Area and the Oregon border. My sister lives in- That's what I would describe as Northern California. But, but you know, the Bay Area is part of Northern California. Well, it depends on who you ask. You think that's central? I mean- if you look at a picture of the state, it looks pretty central. Although central California implies the central, central valley. valley. Yeah. It's true. And California, you know, when you say Northern California is shorthand for San Francisco and Southern California is shorthand for LA and San Diego, that really is a very urban way of seeing the world. Because yes, there's this whole part of California north of the bend on the Nevada border that has nothing in it but Redding and Wairica. And it's always uh, 120 degrees there. <laughs> and it's terrible. That's not true. I mean, there's also the part with Mount Shasta is beautiful. You've got Crescent City and the Redwoods. That's where the Ewoks are, I believe. I love that you're you're raiding California and, and Northern California. Go on. Well, my sister lives in Medford. Oh, she does. Close to the Oregon border. So we spent some time down there. And I've driven between her place and San Francisco a few times. Mm-hmm. So I know the stuff that's along I-5. I know the Redwood stuff along the coast, which is beautiful. And again, full of Ewoks. Mm-hmm. I remember that Wairika used to have a place called the Wairika Bakery, which was the only palindromic bakery in America. Wow. The Wairika Bakery is a palindrome. But I believe it's now closed. For a while, they turned it into an art gallery and called it the Wairella Gallery in hopes of keeping the palindrome going. But of course... City is not called Wairella, so what, what, what are they even doing there? It really seems like something that you would be, you'd be well-suited to move to Wairika just to run the Wairika Bakery just because it was a palindrome. Somebody's got to take a hit, right? Yeah, right. Why not me? <laughs> but every time, like every time I've gotten out of my car somewhere on that drive, it's been summer and it's been a million degrees and it's been kind of awful. I don't know if I can move to Wairika. Well, it's interesting because the um, California is a, obviously a very large state, a very populous state. One of the largest. And it has maybe not a, well, I would say, I guess, unique because it you couldn't duplicate the geography of California anywhere else. You can't duplicate it in New Jersey. It would be tricky. You'd need a very large 3D printer. California has, has a, an abundance of different environments, different uh, sort of transitions between big, the, some of the biggest urban environments in the country and some of the most rural country, wet and dry. Think about this diversity. The tallest point, the highest point in the continental U.S., Mount Whitney, and the lowest point in North America, Death Valley, are in the same California county. Yeah. You know, you can drive between them in, in you know, a matter of a, an hour or two or something. Pretty phenomenal. Humboldt County, it uh, rains all the time and has big, big tall trees. The, 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 tallest trees in the country, mm-hmm. uh, the redwoods. And the California. shortest trees in the country are bonsai <laughs> trees that are actually in some well, Japanese gardener shed in, and uh, also in Oakland. The, o- 
the oldest trees in North America mm. are the Joshua trees. So uh, there are a lot of different Californias. And Northern California is, I think at first blush, if you experience it primarily by either driving up 101 or 5, or five. you kind of get an impression of a sort of a world that is maybe rurally focused, but also oriented around an interstate. So an awful lot of sort of fast food and... and um, Truck stops. Truck stops. But the country there is a ranching country and it's, um, you know, it's some of the parts of the state that were settled the, not the earliest, obviously the, the, the mission culture is the earliest Western, rather the earliest European settlement in California. But there were ranchers up there in the North pretty early in the settlement of California. I just imagining, um, Zorro, I guess. I don't really know anything about that period. So I'm just going to say Zorro is, um, completely accurate. Uh, Zorro is exactly who we're talking about. I mean, the, uh, the city of, for instance, uh, up in the far northeast corner of California, the city of Alturas, which is like a ranching, uh, ranching community there, their post office was opened in 1871. You know, the, it seems unpopulated or underpopulated, but it really has a long, a long history up there. And did they have a masked Avenger? Uh, there is a masked Avenger in Alturas, but it was, a, and I'm giving something away now, but it actually was me. Uh, in the early 90s, I went and solved crimes there for a couple of years. What letter did you draw in swashbuckling form on your uh, enemy's uh, clothing or uh, uh, gates? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually took a page from uh, the electric company and I had a letter sweater and I had a different letter on there every time and I would rip it off. And solve crimes and also change the meaning of words. So they didn't know if you were just one swashbuckling Avenger or not. It could have been, it could have been a different, it could have been Boro, Coro, Doro, Foro. <laughs> That's right. It could have been a whole, it could have been 26 different guys. Yeah, I would, I would change rest stop to press stop. <laughs> I would, uh, you know, and that didn't even, that meant nothing to people. Taking the letter F <laughs> from his varsity sweater, he turns the mission into nuclear fission. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. bum. But I'm, you know, the the culture there in Northern California, it does not feel like your, like that culture resembles the culture of Central or Western or Southern California really at all. It uh, it feels sort of like we feel here in Washington State that if you go across the mountains to the eastern part of the state, it has a uh, an entirely different character, right? You wouldn't describe Spokane and Seattle as being allied with one another in the same way that Seattle and Portland and Vancouver have a very similar culture. It's kind of a situation like where uh, we've talked about Great Britain just drawing neat straight lines across the Middle East after World War One and dividing all these groups and uh, disenfranchising the Kurds and creating religious and ethnic conflicts. It's kind of the same here. You just, you know, if you use the Columbia River and then draw a straight line up to the Canadian border, that doesn't necessarily map to the kinds of settlers you're getting or are going to get in 100, 150 years. That's right. I mean, if you uh, using North Africa as a guide, I mean, all those countries have essentially square sides and bottoms. Just like the states in the West. That's right. Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, all these 90 degree states. Well, uh, and and as as we know, the people that typically settle in the West and Western cultures are already a little bit anti-authoritarian by nature. If you come here, you're getting, you're, you're leaving someplace else. There's something you're trying to get away from and you're kind of moving up toward the corner. There's like a magnet attracting the little filings on one of these toys (laughs) where you put the beard or the weird hair on the dude's naked face. Uh, that's the Northwest. Yeah. It just attracts people who are trying to get away from something else. Your great grandparents couldn't cut it in Baltimore and they moved to Kansas city. <laughs> and then your grandparents couldn't cut it in Kansas city and they moved to Denver and you're, and there are lots of kind of ways to not cut it. Yeah, that's you know, right. It, it, it could be all kinds of family squabbles, law enforcement tangles, uh, mm-hmm. debts. You just hop on a train car and I here you are. Run out of town on a rail. Uh, so that's in, that's baked into the culture here, but but what you get when you have states like Washington, Oregon, and California, where the coastal population is very different, but much larger, but also oriented quite differently. And this is true in uh, the eastern states too. I mean, the city of New York does not resemble the great state of New York in politics or in urbanity. And so you, the, the nation is full of little Uticas who feel disenfranchised because political power is concentrated in these urban centers. And they look at a map and they think, 
look at this. Most of Washington is like me. Most right. of Washington state is effectively Idaho. Why should these hippies and Subaru driving hippies in Seattle be telling me what to do? And it's, it's a microcosm of the, of the great sort of red blue state divide in the United States now where the, the mass uh, of the land which is less populated and more rurally inclined, has a different political orientation than the, than the, a, a very thin stripe along both coasts and around the city and around the urban centers. In fact, if you look at the west coast of the United States on an electoral map, the congressional district, there are only two congressional districts on the west coast that keep the United States from having a blue wall of uh, entirely Democratic congressional representation bordering the Pacific Ocean. And one of those seats is almost guaranteed to flip in a few months here because Dana Rohrbacher is essentially a Russian spy operating out of, you know, Orange County. This happens a lot. Right. Uh, it's, it's Washington third on the Columbia River is pretty much the only Republican congressional district that touches the ocean. And that is the, maybe one of the more rural parts of Washington state. And that this, this sort of urban rural divide I mean, it's only being, it's only exacerbated as more and more people move to cities and cities orient themselves. It self-selects. Everybody That's has right. media now that you can, you can see, Hey, I'm the kind of person that would be more, you know, you watch Frasier and you think I would be more happy as the kind of person living in an imaginary penthouse that can see the space needle. I was, <laughs> I was in the Bay area a few months ago on the book tour and someone actually said to me, I've always wanted to go to Seattle because of Frasier. Yeah. Like, you know, that's a soundstage in like Culver city, right? Uh, oh no. Frasier captured the, the mise-en-scene of being in Seattle in the nineties so well. I have talked to, to real estate realtors who honestly feel that, uh, Frasier was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Have we talked about this on the show? No. That people moved to Seattle and were shown these little craftsmen in these little neighborhoods you know, turn of the century crafts and bungalows. And we're like, no, 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 no. I want the Frasier penthouse. And that didn't exist. So developers had to start building Frasier because out of towners thought that was the cosmopolitan Seattle experience. Yeah. Move me right there where that weird construction paper space needle is. <laughs> so yeah, they terraformed Seattle to be more like, to be more like Frasier. But as you know, like it's really written in the very fabric of being an American that we uh, we imagine that sometimes you can solve your problems, your disgruntlement with authority by seceding. Um, the United States fought a revolution for its independence based on some some resistance to being taxed. And we won. We're one to know. We won. That's right. And, uh, and, you know, that's enshrined in our national mythos. Even though the second big secession was not a hit. Right. Big U.S. secessions are currently one and one thanks to the confederacy screwing it up well and you know we in the bed even though and then of course we absorbed the kingdom of texas or whatever the republic <laughs> the republic of texas <laughs> the principality of the texans <laughs> but um but it, it's always been a part of how we imagine america will revitalize itself and I, i've always got an out that's if right things get bad i've got a gun and some land and the right that god-given right to to be Mr. President of my own seceded place. And our good friend Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States. When you say our, do you mean the band The Long Winters? Uh, our. I mean, uh, who isn't a friend of Tom, Thomas Jefferson? I mean, I guess even the Hemmings now are like friends, right? They they go to the big reunions now. <laughs> they, 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 they argued they, about it for a hundred years. I don't know if that was by choice. Like, yeah, no, they're happy to be there, I think. He's probably the only president in the Hemings family tree. So I guess you, you got to make an appearance. Right. The Rodericks don't get to go to some presidential reunion at Monticello. Have you thought of ha having had better looking ancestors who were also slave labor? Have you, have you looked into the possibility? <laughs> as much as I believe time is a flat circle, I do not want to go back and mess around with how good looking my ancestors were. You don't think 23 and me. And also your ancestors might not take the, the, uh, the deal, if you were like, well, on the plus side, you'll be incredibly good looking. Mm -hmm. You will also be some kind of, you'll have a lifelong servitude. Well, the thing is, what was good looking in the 18th century isn't good looking now, right? I mean, I would go back and be like, whoa, dudes, you need to wear more denim. And they would, that would not, that would not convey the same. I mean, I, when I think about time traveling just back to high school and being cooler than I was, I realized that I could upset the fabric of my whole life and I could end up, I mean, there were a lot of cool people in high school that didn't make it. You know I what love I'm saying? That, exactly. I love that your definition of coolness is just amount of denim worn. Mm. Well, that's just only, that's one definition of coolness. Well, that's funny because if I was going to time travel in the United States and I wanted to be kind of safe for about 150 years, 
Just wear a white tee and Levi's, or I guess a flannel shirt and Levi's. Look, don't kid yourself. You could go back to almost any point in American history and be instantly accepted as... If you had a white tee and Levi's, you'd, be, you'd, you'd have a band within... No, not Within 30 seconds. Not me. I'm talking specifically about you. No, I mean you, one. They, yeah, they, they one. just give you a band. <laughs> I, when I picture the Mormon trail, I picture you riding on a horse at the head of a, of a wagon train because I, I, your physiognomy is like so old west to me. Like your face just says old west. Physiognomy? How would you pronounce that? I don't word? know. Physiognomy? Do Alaskans put the emphasis on Nome because they, they have so much pride in the city of Nome? I mean, that's an example of a word that I have been struggling to pronounce for 30 years. Is it physiognomy? Physiognomy? I think the G might be silent. Like I might say physiognomy. Physiognomy? Now that sounds like a surgery. I need to have my physion removed. You're, you're excellent at figuring out how things are pronounced from dictionary definitions. It is. Yeah, I, I'm, I love those phonetic symbols. Physiognomy? It's physiognomy and the G is optional. So either physiognomy or physiognomy? Yes. So physiognomy. Of me on a horse. Yeah, your your physiognomy. I'm wearing just the white shirt. It's a little open at the collar. I've got the suspenders, but no jacket. Right. And no hat or hat? Black hat. Broad-brimmed hat. Broad-brim hat. Maybe like a David Hilbert's hat. And wait, denim, right? Or are you wearing khaki, like high-waisted khaki pants with big Oh, buttons? I don't know. Like how, how far back can we go with denim? Like, uh, Oh, well, 18, I mean, 1800s, but I, I think probably they had similar fabrics. We have to go back to the city of Nîmes, France. Denim comes from the French denim. It's fabric from neem. Why are we? Let's get off this Jefferson State uh, issue. Why are we talking about the state of Jefferson? <laughs> well, we can go, talk about dungarees. Let's go to dungarees. There's a lot of overlap. But but throughout American history, there have been a lot of uh, different succession movements. Uh, secession movements, rather. Both. Not succession. There are also succession movements, but secession movements. You meant to say that there had been both. You know, Texas is constantly trying to secede or make some decision or split in half about, uh, in order to protest something that's happening in Washington. We would have multiple Texas instead of just a single Texas. Right, Texas. Uh, there was in the 1980s a big movement to create a white homeland in the Northwest, which we'll talk about on a future omnibus. Once we move there. Once. <laughs> to, to get away from the burning <laughs> Once cities. Once we're forcibly moved there, <laughs> forcibly relocated. But there is an ongoing secession movement in the United States whereupon Northern California and some counties of Southern Oregon, and by Northern California, I mean North of Sacramento mm -hmm. and a few counties of uh, Southern Oregon have proposed to secede and form a new state called Jefferson State, the called, 51st state. Called the parts of our respective states where no one wants to be or go. <laughs> For sure, Jefferson State. There are only two instances where, in American history, where a state was created out of a pre-existing state. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is Maine, which, which is weird because it's not part of uh, a state that borders it, right? Right. It, Maine was part of Massachusetts, but uh, there was always a New Hampshire that separated Maine and Massachusetts. It was just a, a further quadrant of the state of Massachusetts. And it's much bigger than Massachusetts, but they were apparently happy to let it go. Let's get rid of that kind of big, scary wooded part. Well, it was tough to administrate and full of moose. It was kind of like Belarus in that respect. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, and the, the other- the, the moose are your biggest law enforcement problem, I think, when, you're, you, when you're trying to subjugate a people. Look, if you have lived in a place where the, where the moose are as big- as well, when the moose are as big as a Toyota Tundra. That's yeah. what I always remember about the WTO riots were just the, uh, how the, the police could just not stop the moose. Well, until the police realized they could ride the moose. <laughs> that was what, that was the turning point. Uh, and the other state, uh, that was, uh, cloven from uh, a pre-existing state was, was state, it cloven in Twain? It was cloven in Twain. Oh, uh, that's, was, that's my favorite way to be cloven. Was, uh, when, or not quite in Twain, but when West Virginia cleaved from the state of Virginia. So this has not happened since 1861, right? basically. And, and in none of those cases did it cross state boundaries. The interesting thing about Jefferson, to me, is that uh, many versions of it would uh, have to get Oregon and California to sign off. Well, and the original idea of a, of a new state in this area uh, actually began in Oregon. Hmm. Uh, it was the sort of fantastic fantasy of a man named Gilbert Gable, who was a a bon vivant and a raconteur and someone who had made a lot of money in the 
early days of Bell Telephone and was a, you know, a guy that wore big hats and had a pet raccoon, you know, this type of fellow. Oh, sure. I don't know if he actually had a pet raccoon. That's just what I imagine. If I had a lot, if I had more money and could exhibit proper flair, I would certainly have a pet raccoon. Like either you or I could move to Oregon t- today and immediately have 10 friends with the floppy hat, the pet raccoon, the kind of shady business pass. So it seems they don't have to work much. Yeah. Oh my o- God. Oregon is still full of this guy. And, uh, Certainly like now Northern Oregon is full of these people. Southern Oregon, Not the, so much. the character of the state is, um, I guess, restrained by geographical features and by a, a, like a, a lack of major industry, right? I mean, what, what Southern Oregon produces is timber and, 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 and Shakespearean and festivals, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> I mean, if you are looking to, if you're looking to hire a jester, uh, I think you could do worse than go to uh, Southern Oregon. To go to Ashland, Oregon. Yeah. Uh, but Gilbert Gable was doing a thing that I think a lot of people uh, do when they first survey the West Coast, which is compared to the East Coast. And from Boston to Miami, there are there are dozens. So many states. Of, well, states and large cities with active harbors and big, uh, enormous cultures, uh, tons of industry. Sure. And when you look you at go, the, you, go, you go 10 miles north and you're suddenly, uh, everybody's talking like Baltimore and you're like, right. what happened? Yeah. I mean, the accent in Baltimore is completely different from the one in Philadelphia. How could that even be? Well, it's because people in Baltimore are given less oxygen as children. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, if, you, if you look at the West Coast, you have Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, which is sort of up the river. Hardly even a port. And then no, Long gap. no major city until the, until San Francisco, which is on that enormous bay. And then again, no major city on the coast all the way down to Long Beach. You and I spent some time on the Oregon coast this summer. There's plenty of nice bays the, to crab in. Any of them could have been a big, a, wide a major, open beaches. Yeah, harbor. Major, uh, or like big haystack rocks. Dunes, if each, you want dunes. Each one of those haystack rocks apparently is also called haystack rock. So when you say we're going to haystack rock, that's not descriptive to yeah, people in Oregon. It's like finding a haystack in a, hmm. I lost, uh, I lost yeah, the metaphor. That's a good one. I'm trying to track it down. No, can't. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout uh so when you come to the West Coast as an East Coast person or a person from anywhere, your inclination is to think that the reason that there's no port between Portland and San Francisco is just that the West Coast people already there don't have the imagination or maybe didn't think about it. They need me, thought Gilbert E. Gable. That's right. And Gilbert Gable arrived in Oregon and discovered uh, the little town of Port Orford, which is a kind of, you know, there's a little sort of natural harbor there in Port Orford. And he thought, it's the next San Francisco or the next Baltimore, even. The area is rich in natural resources. And it is- What uh, are the natural resources he hopes to extract? Well, he has timber, but he also has, uh, there's an enormous offshore fishery and also the mining or the promise of mining. Gold, your friend, copper- Oh, Copper King. Silver, coal. It, the sky's the limit. There seems to be some evidence that he showed up in Port Orford to look for the famous Port Orford meteorite, which was claimed to have been discovered there in 1856, full of metals worth up to $300 million. So all kinds of nut jobs have come out there trying to find it, but it's quite possibly a hoax. 
Uh, what, what, was there a sighting of a meteorite or that everybody now is looking for the actual meteorite? Apparently a, a government geologist claimed to have found one in 1856, brought home a sample and immediately died, leaving everybody to wonder, right. where's this super valuable meteorite? Did the sample actually prove out to be a meteorite? sample? Uh, I think subsequent analysis has showed that it's part of a Chilean meteorite he acquired in Panama. Oh, so he's a liar, this government geologist. Either he's pulling a scam or he's just terrible about how he organizes his meteorites. He needs a box full of little boxes. Yes, he does. For his many meteorites. Well, there are a lot of scammers in the story of the West. Not to say that Gilbert Gable was one of them. He might have been, right? He had a, he had a colorful past. That's a colorful resume that I'm not sure I believe. And he arrived in Port Orford with, uh, with some money and began to buy up Port Orford in the expectation that he was going to turn this town into a thriving metropolis. Are we, are we going to talk about the document that he had with him when he came? He brought with him a certificate. Uh, he claimed to be from the Navajo people of Arizona, making him an honorary chief. Uh, so he's showing people the certificate that he says is written in blood and from, it, from his time hunting for dinosaur eggs in the uh, southwestern deserts. And his time there uh, where he was like basically uh, grave robbing uh, burial sites and also like despoiling all these archaeological sites, he was actually banned from Arizona, right? Or run out of town on a rail. So you think it's not so likely that the Navajos are like, yes, keep despoiling this. The wonderful thing about things like that certificate is that you could probably just pull a guy aside in a bar. he found a guy. And say, hey, you want to do the, I mean, you're a Navajo. You want to give me this certificate? And the guy's like, sure, what the f*** I I was just reading about the urban legend that um, North Korean President Kim Jong-il claimed to have hit five holes in one the first time he ever golfed. Have you heard this story? No. Supposedly, I believe it's, it though. Supposedly it's a beloved um, North Korean piece of propaganda. In fact, it was just one guy, like some Australian reporter infiltrated North Korea to write about the famine, but pretended he was a golf course developer. And so he's hanging out with this golf course guy and saying, hey, does, does Dear Leader uh, golf? And of course this guy's like, oh yeah, uh, I've golfed this course with him. He's really good. Uh, he got a hole in one here. And then on the next hole, yeah, he got a hole in one here again. So the story just starts because one guy, you know, had a tall tale. It's so often one guy. It sounds like this, uh, the Port Orford meteorite is the story of just one guy, one guy with, uh, without enough small boxes. But, uh, Gable also um, brought a film crew down the Colorado river, like, and made like a, like a proto IMAX silent movie of like what it would look like to raft down the Colorado. Yeah. This guy was living his best life at a time. Well, and, you could do that in the West, right? Yeah. that I mean, you know, a colorful person in a big hat with a little bit of independent wealth could go out and become and start a newspaper or open a bank or in the case of, uh, of this guy, buy an entire town and, and, and start upon a project to make it the big port of the, of the central Western coast. How far south is Port Orford? I can't actually picture it. It's south of Coos Bay. It's, um, it's, you know. It's pretty close to the California border, right? It is. It's kind of like just sort of straight across. I mean, it's not directly on the border. Like Gold It's sort of, whatever. yeah, it's a little north of Grants Pass. It's kind of like right in the middle there. Okay. Um, so Gable decided that what he needed to do was first build a, a big jetty in the harbor that would serve as his port and then bring a railroad to Port Orford. I mean, this is what you need to make a big city. You've got that in Seattle and in Portland and in Long Beach. Big port, railroad. Everybody wanted a railroad. Otherwise, you die on the vine. And he got a lot of people to support his his big jetty, and they built a a big pier out at Port Orford, and they had a celebration celebrating the pier. No actual boats, but... No boats yet. Uh, But, you know, you build it and they will come. And then the pier collapsed in a storm. Oh. And during this period, there was a lot of, he'd attracted a lot of suspicion. People were looking at him out there wondering like what this guy was up to. Is this guy really a Navajo chief? And eventually uh, the, the folks up the chain who were responsible for approving his proposal to bring the railroad to Port Orford, they denied his, his application. We're on Let's to call you. it that. That's right. And so all of a sudden, here he is, Gilbert Gable, hung, hanging out in Port Orford, and all of his, he sees all of his dreams crumbling around him. Mm-hmm. No port, no train. Port Orford is not going to become San Francisco. It's going to stay Port Orford. And what do you do when you get to the Pacific, and then you get run out of a, on a rail? Yeah. Where do you go? Well, you go to Alaska, but somehow he didn't get the message. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how the great state of Alaska was formed. Guys like this, that couldn't cut it in Port Orford. It's the bottom of the bottom of the barrel. And by this point, he had 
gotten elected to the mayorality of Port Orford. So he was no longer just a private citizen with a, with a civic interest in the town. He was also like, he's his honor, Mayor Gable. Yeah. He bought the town and made himself mayor. And I, you know, I can't think of a higher achievement in this life. It would be like if in the music man, professor Harold Hill wound up being the mayor of river city. Maybe that's, maybe that's the sequel. Yeah. That feels like, I mean, that feels like something in my future. I've always thought about moving up to Twisp, Washington and becoming the sheriff. Maybe if I had enough money, I'd buy all of Twisp and become the mayor. Sure. You should be the mayor of like Sultan Washington or something. Yeah. What do you think? I th- well, I should be the Sultan. You should of be Sultan the Sultan Washington. of Mayor Washington. <laughs> uh, so Gilbert hatches upon a scheme, uh, which is he needs to get some action going in uh, Port Orford. And so he begins to he begins to sort of uh, rattle his cage a little bit or rattle the cage of the state government in Salem and say that they're going to, that county is going to secede from Oregon and join the state of California. And maybe the state of California will recognize the genius of his plan and they will fund road construction. They will put a railroad there. They will help him build a port. This is his, this is his plan. And he's a showman. He's got his tongue firmly planted in his cheek, but he also has had some success in life, just being bold and doing outrageous things. And he has a, a newspaperman who's a bad influence on him. Uh, Stanton Delaplane from the San Francisco Chronicle is in town, a guy looking for big, colorful stories from off the beaten path. And of course, it's in the reporter's interest to fill this guy full of rum and to encourage all his nutty schemes. And it works. All of a sudden, there's national attention on uh, Gilbert as he he and Stanton sort of cook up this publicity scheme. So these guys start a campaign. They start a campaign and it catches fire. Uh, some other local counties sort of take it more at face value. They don't see it as much as a, um, as a kind of publicity stunt and a little bit of a corny media event. And it, it resonates with them because they have felt, uh, they've felt underrepresented in the state capital in Salem. And it crosses the border. Some counties in Northern California say, hey, don't secede or don't, you know, don't leave Oregon and join California. We'd like to leave California. They should swap. Let's, uh, yeah, we'll join Oregon <laughs> you, and you'll, we'll be like uh, the Belarus to California's Russia. And so there are several, you know, they do some publicity or they do some stunts, right? They, they start stopping cars, groups of men dressed in Western apparel with, with rifles start stopping cars on the highway and handing them copies of their new Declaration of Independence. It starts out as a one day a week thing. They say Thursday. I don't know how they came up with Thursday. Every Thursday we're going to Thursday, secede. we're an independent state and here's a media guide about it and, you know, newsreel people rush in oh, this to, is to cover fun. this nutty story. This is fun stuff, right? And they get a lot of the same kind of publicity you get when a newspaper runs a campaign to name a new sports team or a new boat. Everybody has an idea of what to call it. Uh, Middle West Coastia. Middle very, West Coastia. Not middle, but middle like they're Germans. Yeah. Um, Josephine County is home of the Oregon Caves. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you ever been to the Oregon Caves near Grants uh, Pass? I've driven past the Oregon Caves. I've actually been there. Lovely. But the funny thing is they were like one of the biggest tourist attractions in the Western United States at this time. And so Josephine County feels very strongly that the new state should be called Cave Mania. Yeah, Cave Mania. I don't know if it's like Cave Mania, like it's where cavemen are, or it's just mania for having caves. Which is interesting uh, because the people in Port Orford have really no interest in living in Cave Mania, and nor do the people <laughs> in in Wairica, California. So, but, but think how big a regional <laughs> landmark it must be for everyone to be like, oh yeah, this is the part of the country with Oregon caves in it. Um, if you go there today, there's still like all these elaborate lodges from when it was a real posh weekend destination for city folk making a getaway or even crossing the country to see them. We've driven, we've driven past it, you know, innumerable times on tour. And it always looked like a place where the, where the hotel rooms would smell a little bit like mold. <laughs> I think, I think you're not wrong. Orofino, Bonanza, Del Carisquiu, all these names were suggested. Well, and Siskerdelmo, you, that doesn't even seem like a word. Siskerdelmo. Discontent. Like, like it's an actual state. Like, yes, I'm in a state of discontent. Literally. So you can see why they chose Jefferson. Uh, when someone finally proposed, 
let's name the state Jefferson. And it wasn't the first time there had been a proposal to name a state Jefferson. No. There have been several times in the, the development of the United States where it seemed like maybe there, there needed to be another state. Uh, like, for instance, the panhandle of Texas. For a while, it was, it was considering becoming a, a state of its own, and it, it thought perhaps Jefferson might be a good name. It is weird how there, there's, uh, you know, just literally hundreds of counties named for the founding fathers. Well, and Jefferson— but Washington him, is the only such state. Jefferson did this, um, you know, he, he encouraged people with this sort of commentary within his own writing that the tree of liberty needed to be watered periodically uh, with the blood right. of patriots. His vision, uh, even, with, even with the whole notion of manifest destiny, when he looked at the Pacific coast of the United States, which in a, in a way he's responsible for uh, the Lewis and Clark. Sure, he's strongly associated with that part of the Northwest because of Lewis and Clark. But his idea was that it would be a separate nation, uh, that the Pacific coast would, would become a kind of, you know, empire. Um, because he could not get over his uh, libertarian inner nature to imagine, even even imagining a grand United States. And that just was too and much. possibly Virginia... Um uh, patrician chauvinism, you know, like I don't actually want these kind of weird parts of the country in my <laughs> America because when he sent Lewis and Clark out, he was a man of science and he was hoping that great wonders would be discovered. He was like one of these, uh, African explorers who thought literally thought there would be woolly mammoths and volcanoes and, well, and the Northwest giant mountains Passage. made of salt and the Northwest Passage. Uh, we're still waiting for the Northwest Passage. Maybe if the sea ice melts a little bit more. Fingers crossed. Uh, so in the fall of 1941, the movement started to take on uh, some momentum. Political momentum even? Uh, he, uh, above and beyond what Gilbert Gable could have ever imagined. And he was lapping it up, just having the time of his life. And Stanton Delaplane was, I mean, the two of them were making a real, real splash. There was a, there was a flag, uh, which is still used today by Jefferson uh, hopefuls which is awful. It's a terrible flag. It really does have, it, it suggests... Nothing. It suggests both nothing and also a real authoritarian, <laughs> like... I it, mean, does, it, has, it does have the black cross in the middle. It has a, a gold pan and two black crosses that are at like... Off center, yeah, and it's it's the it's called the double cross, and it expressed the idea that the people of this these disenfranchised people in this region had been double crossed, double crossed, respectively, Salem and Sacramento. So, I mean, the fact that it looks like a white nationalist prison flag <laughs> is it's maybe not a completely specious uh, association. And also, they had been drinking quite a bit as yes. they dreamed up of this. So maybe the two X's is like the X's you see on a jug in a cartoon. Right, right, <laughs> which also has some modern-day resonance. Uh, so as part of the publicity stunt, everyone, in, everyone agitating for uh, this secession movement was encouraged to wear Western dress, and they were posing for photographs kind of like Let's get the cutest girls up front and some bow hunky guys. And, you know, we'll make Jefferson State seem like a... Um, it's like a college brochure. It's like a college brochure for a... Do, for do, a, do you think they had the one black guy like those college brochures? Always? I am 100% sure they didn't. Uh, given, <laughs> that was a very big part of their platform, I think. <laughs> given what that region was like and is like now. But uh, the movement uh, was actually proceeding and several states submitted secession uh, proposals but it, they suffered a couple of dramatic setbacks. The first one being on December 2nd of 1941, our hero, Gilbert Gable, died suddenly of a heart attack after drinking all night with Stanton Delaplane. So there is a downside to concocting your big Politico business ideas uh, while drinking 150 while, proof run every drunk. night yeah. with, I mean, with two big X's on the jug. Gilbert certainly arced across our sky like a comet. <laughs> and Stanton Delaplane went on to win the Pulitzer Prize for reporting that year for his reporting on the Jefferson Statement. A story he essentially created. That's Journalism's funny. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, journalism in the 40s is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but then the second setback was the unanticipated bombing of Pearl Harbor in on December 7th of that year, a day which still lives in infamy, even now. To me, December 2nd lives in infamy, now that I know that poor Gilbert Gable left us so soon. Well, there are a lot of infamous days in the beginning of December. What an infamous week that was. That was, there, and think of all the other infamous things that we don't even think about. Let's see, we know that uh, December 7th was a Sunday. Right. So that means Gilbert Gable died on a 
Wednesday? Well, you're not going to get on the Letterman show with that act. No, Tuesday. Yeah, I'm not one of, I'm not the, I'm not Rain Man here, am I? <laughs> Tuesday, definitely Tuesday. So yeah, a rough week for all involved in the movement. Yeah. And after December 7th, I mean, the, this, uh, the people behind this movement and this region of the country, they're, they think of themselves as patriots and they abandon their movement in favor of throwing all in for the war effort. I think I have a conspiracy theory here and I think maybe FDR arranged for the bombing of Pearl Harbor in order to quiet the dissidents in Southern Oregon and Northern California. It was Churchill who knew about the Jefferson State Movement who <laughs> didn't tell FDR about communiques they had received from the Japanese Navy. Because Churchill still fired up at Jefferson. Je and the Japanese were bombing Pearl Harbor only as a stepping stone for their ultimate attack of Port Orford, Oregon. <laughs> which they wanted the meteorite. They did. They <laughs> 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 the nation that controls the meteoric copper rules the world. Well, fast forward to the present day and or to, to recent times. When Jefferson has not happened. There is no Jefferson state or state of Jefferson. I wonder if in some parallel history they had a shot at it with if if Gable takes better care of his cardiovascular system and in an infinite number of Japan of, holds uh, off. Possible universes, Ken. There are an infinite number of Jefferson State stories. Well, here's the thing. If the universe is infinite, yeah. that means there's an infinite number of square meters of space. There's more potential square meters of space than there are arrangements of atoms mm -hmm. within that square meter. Yes. So that means given any square meter of space, if the universe is infinite, there's a duplicate of that out there somewhere. And if that's true, that holds true for larger bodies as well, even for bodies the size of our planet. We are guaranteed to have a universe out there in which there's a John Roderick identical to you, a Ken Jennings identical to me, and one with every possible slight difference, including an independent state in Southern Oregon. I'm hoping to one day visit the independent state of John Roderick, uh, which is in Southern California and Northern Mexico. And if the universe is infinite, you can do it by launching a rocket. You just need to find that earth. Ugh. Well, or go behind a bookshelf somewhere and knock book, books out a little bit and draw stuff in sand. Send your baby to earth as an infant. If, if our planet is going to be destroyed, have you thought about where you're going to rocket your children to? Oh, do have P I ever. Put your daughter in a little rocket and send her to uh, New Rodrigo on the Mexican border. <laughs> I'll name her Jar L. <laughs> Mar L. Mar L. So, so there is uh, no state of Jefferson in our world. There is not, but the this region of California, north of Sacramento, continues, this may surprise you, to be disgruntled. Uh, they <laughs> feel even more and more... Uh, Are they disgruntled at their own lousy flag? Uh, the, 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 the flag wasn't really the focus of the movement for a long time. The flag still delights them. The, the problem was that the uh, state government in Sacramento is dominated by liberals from San Francisco and Los Angeles who make up the vast majority of the population of the state of California. And the people in the rural counties who have completely different priorities from urban people um, who are tied to the land, who are interested in irrigation and property rights. Well, this is true of all rural people because the, uh, you know, the sparseness of their region means that population-wise, they are always going to feel underrepresented. It's true. But the residents of Iowa, they can take a little bit more of a um, sort of patronizing view of the liberals in Iowa City or those darn urban liberals in Des Moines. Uh, <laughs> you know, like the, the gulf between the people in Lincoln, Nebraska and the people in rural Nebraska, although it's still a, a cultural gulf, it isn't quite as far distant as the, the distance between cultural and otherwise between the residents of the Castro in San Francisco and the residents of Alturas, California, who are out branding baby cows in uh, dawn. Why do you think that is? Just the size of the state? Well, and because, as you say, the self-selection of people nationwide, if you are, if you are someone with powerful uh, progressive convictions and you live in Ames, Iowa, uh, you may move to Des Moines, but ultimately you'll probably move to San Francisco, right? I mean, the, pe the, the great migrations of people to the coasts are moving there because of predilection, not just economic opportunity, but the, that feels like where they belong. You don't move to New York 
just to get ahead selling farm equipment. You moved there to open a Broadway show. I mean, you moved there because you always wanted to dance. Tribal reasons. Right. Intensified by a mass media where everyone can see, uh, can dream of an idealized place where they fit in, the city, the country. It's funny. For a long time in America, it was the other way. The dream would be to move to the country, right? Right, or to get your 40 acres and a mule. But, I mean, Los Angeles is a global destination for people who want to put on a show. And people in northeastern California are living lives that are more akin to people in rural communities all around the world. They're very locally focused. They're very uh, traditional conservative values. Many of them probably don't even have an in and out Oh, I bet you there's an In-N-Out burger everywhere in California. Oh, no, wait, there's not. That's the big thing about In-N-Out burgers. No, you they, can't get them everywhere. Uh, I think they, they must have either relaxed their never freeze the beef policy or just have a better distribution network because Medford and Grants Pass now have... Um, In-N-Out burgers? In-N-Out burgers. In-N-Out burger is in Oregon, uh, where, whereas it was once out. Redding, my, Redding has an In-N-Out. My understanding was that In-N-Out burger uh, was a family-owned company and they wouldn't franchise. That was the problem. They couldn't expand because they wouldn't sell franchise opportunities to other owners. I always heard it was freezing the beef. It was a radius based on uh, how fast beef defrosts in a truck on a hot day. Well, I guess- it's not something you want to think about when you're eating at a, at a restaurant. <laughs> I guess we'll have to think about this when we do the In-N-Out Burger uh, Omnibus episode. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. Well, so the people of Northern California became especially estranged and disgruntled after, I think you can guess, the first election of President Obama, which was a bell-ringing lightning strike on the American consciousness. I don't know. Um, I, just, I just can't figure out what it is about him they wouldn't like. Just let's see. Kind he of a was, sensible center-left guy. He was a liberal, but that uh, wasn't always ears. such a big problem. Yeah. Uh, He's from Chicago. Weird There must town. be something I'm just not thinking of that these people would dislike about Obama. You're talking no, about some no characteristic president. that he had yeah, that would something have obvious that alienated you see on first glance that rural, rural people whites. Were, well, anyway, I mean, that's, let, let's leave that to the social scientists of the future. They'll figure it out. I, I got nothing. But the people, uh, the people in Northern California, this, this area became sort of a hotbed of the Tea Party movement, a hotbed of the, uh, I guess what you would call, uh, laughingly, the deplorables. It's a, it's a gun rights uh, culture. It's a property rights culture. Right, conservative rights. values culture. And, and my, one, my brother-in-law, by the way, works for the Bureau of Land Management in Southern oh, Oregon. So he's on BLM. the bad guys, yeah. man. So he's on the front lines of all these people who want, who think public lands are a disgrace. How many times a week do uh, people come invade his office and like try and graze their sheep on his lawn for he, free? He is often the guy in charge of getting the porta potties so the protesters don't <laughs> like poop in the planters. Yeah. That's his job. And the thing about uh, the the uh, the sort of land use cultures is that they're not just resentful of the federal government and all the federal restrictions on grazing rights and and um, and we've talked about water use in California, which is an, uh, which right. is a huge issue for people in this region. But also the state in, impinges upon their what they perceive to be their natural right to do what they want. Uh, do what they want with their land, with their daughters, with their, you know, whatever. Well, like, interestingly, they want weed. We, we can't paint them all as cultural conservatives. 
the thing is, anybody left or right who smokes weed recognizes that it's totally righteous. Weed recognize weed. Although, you know, Humboldt County on the coast here in Northern California was for decades the major producer of the finest quality grass. And Humboldt County had a very strange culture because although they were hippies, like growing weed, uh, and and kind of there was a biker culture there of like growing weed. There was also a real stay off my land culture because, you know, if you drove up any random road and, and got out of your car, somebody would step out of the bushes and point a gun at you because you were in their pot growing zone. So were there amazing strains of weed named for uh, different Ewoks and... Uh, this is pre-Ewok. The Humboldt Clipper and the... But yeah, like hum- Humboldt, the, the word Humboldt became sort of synonymous with a certain kind of grass. Redwood red. Um, anyway, the movement, the movement began to gain traction again in the mid-2000s or the, you know, at, after the Obama election. Uh, people in Northern California started to agitate for the creation of a new state, one that would kind of get return to them some political agency because when it, when it came to any kind of like statewide government, they had no representation. It's a tiny fraction of the population of California that lives in these great wide open areas. And they, they can't, you know, they, they felt like their voices were not heard. But if we had our own Sacramento, state, right. they think. If we had our own state with a capital, let's say in Redding, California, the, the largest city in the region, we could start to control our own destinies. And, and if you just peeled off the counties from the original Gilbert Gable conception of uh, Jefferson, it would be tiny. They tiny. would have just, you know, half a million people. It would be smaller than any current U.S. state. But in the current political climate, um, people with big dreams in their eyes, now that they've seen that um, aggrieved white people really can wreak political havoc on a national scale in our era— these people are now thinking, well, we could get every red California county, and that would actually be quite a large state. That would be uh, something on the order of two and a half million people almost. Right. It, the, the, it, the red states start to, uh, they stretch pretty far south, south of Sacramento. Mm-hmm. All the states, all the, the counties of California that vote staunchly Republican. This wouldn't be Northern California anymore. This is kind of an, this secession, uh, which I've seen called Red Nexit, uh, would be essentially more east-west, right? Yeah. I mean, all of all of what you would call, I mean, I guess there'd be a diagonal line across yeah. the state of California. Um, interestingly, the southern counties of Oregon that uh, that where this movement originally precipitated now are less interested in, uh, in joining with the uh, counties in California that want to secede. And so Oregon is a little bit backing out of the deal as more and more counties in California start to, and these referenda actually are passing in their local city councils. Uh, initially, uh, a referenda to bring it to a public vote, but there seems to be tremendous popular support for the idea that within these counties, they would band together and submit articles of dissolution to the state of California. And so I know, uh, you know, constitutionally to accept a new state to the union, there's a certain, there's a vote in the Senate with a, some kind of a, I don't know, two thirds, majority. Three majority. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what happens on the state level? Does California have to agree to this first? I think there, well, I think it varies. There would have to be a statewide vote, I think. And I, red next it. but I don't think that the, I don't think that the red side would, it would, ever have the votes necessary. But there are some competing movements currently within the state of California. One of them, CalExit, is a movement to, uh, for the state of California to secede from the United States. From the whole country. They, you know, now that they have the, what, the seventh or eighth, the biggest GDP on earth, I think they just passed Japan or France or something. Um, They think... Sure, they'd be a, a viable uh, country all by themselves. We can do better on our own. If Canada can pretend to be an independent country, like... <laughs> Like I'm, I'm sure they have five times the GDP of Canada. Okay, I have, I have no idea. Well, and all of this is, you know, and, and CalExit would be a subset of the Cascadia movement, which is a movement for Ca- Northern California, traditionally, Oregon and Washington and British Columbia. Sometimes parts of BC, right? Sometimes all the way up to Southern Alaska mm. would secede and form a kind of West Coast, um, 
like a politically aligned and culturally aligned West Coast crescent. That's also, I mean, that that is a fantasy and it's a they have a flag that's also a dumb flag with a big Douglas fir on it that people wave at Portland Timbers games. It's green and bl- green and blue stripe. It's all these colors yeah. you should not have on flags. You know, maybe 90 sports teams can have these teal stripes, but we don't need them it's now on really our- a bad flag and I and I'm I'm so um as someone who's been sort of a uh, nascent Cascadian my whole adult life, the idea that some dingling would have put this flag forward and everybody just adopted it without any kind of public vote makes me furious. That actually seems very Cascadia to me. <laughs> it's really Cascadia. Uh, so, and then there's a, there's a more recent movement called the Six Californias Movement, which was an initiative that was promoted by, uh, predictably, by a California venture capitalist who thought he had a disruptive new idea. I'm surprised it wasn't Elon I'm going to disrupt Musk. the Senate. This is totally disruptive. You just download an app and it disrupts the Senate. So he proposed California divided into six countries, uh, Jefferson County being the northern one, and then North California, which is kind of a band that includes all the Napa Valley and all that. This would be, I think, a less viable California that would quickly be invaded in, invaded <laughs> by what he's describing as Silicon Valley, California, which includes all of the Bay Area. Wait, so the the San Jose is now the center of, of uh, Bay Area culture? Apparently, all the Come people on. all the people in San Francisco are going to happily join Silicon Valley Nation. That's how they see themselves for oh sure. Oh my god! And Oakland's going to love that. East, East Bay is going to love this. So offensive to me, even as someone far removed from California politics. And then there's Central California, the Central Valley. What he's describing as West California, which would have its home in Santa Barbara, I guess. It's like, it's everything from Malibu to Santa Barbara. But not but not most of Metro LA? Uh, no, I think it ends north of LA. Or no, wait a minute, maybe it includes LA. What's, uh, well, what's the thing south of that called? And then South California, which is obviously San Diego and then all that weird deserty stuff out there where the La Migra just drives around in green trucks. I'm not, so I assume the idea here is to, um, is to pack the Senate with uh, left-leaning states. Is that part of it? Uh, well, not all of those would be left-leaning. That's what I'm saying. I mean, uh, even like, you know, San Diego, big military town, plus all that Orange County money. I'm not sure South California is going to reliably give you, elect who you, these people want. Well, and I wonder if the way, I mean, the way it would be approached is that there'd have to be a Kansas-Nebraska act, or there'd have to be a, right. you know, like we'd go to the Senate and say, look, we're admitting three leftist Californias and three conservative Californias. Which which is kind of bogus since the population of California is not remotely 50-50 on a lot of these issues. Well, and it evolved, this proposal evolved into the three Californias, which now becomes a mathematical paradox. It's the pigeonhole uh, paradox, where if you have three gloves, uh, two of them have to be right and one of them is left, or, or vice versa. It's exactly the same here. The, the three Californias are Northern California, which would be a Jefferson state, except including San Francisco, which screws up annul, their whole idea. Annuls everybody's vote, essentially. Uh, and then Southern California, which would be all of Central California and San Diego. And then what's being described as... Hollyweird. <laughs> no, simply California, which is a sort of... It's Cali- a little island around LA? It's a kind of California-shaped state... That basically goes from like Big Sur down to L.A. That it's really shaped like the state of California. Well, it's like an invert, like California bends. It should be. Yeah, ex- it's basically shaped. It like should California. be exactly the size of the shape of California, and there should be a one-to-one mapping between every oh. point, And they should build a little San Francisco in Malibu. Oh, that's and a, genius! Right? Come on, somebody get to work on that right away. And that concludes Jefferson, comma state of. Entry number 671.NU2655, certificate number 26085, in the omnibus. Future listeners. Who are almost certainly living in some version of California. They live, the world is just uh, hundreds of Californias. Every time you have a new political idea that differs at all from the political ideas of your neighbors, you get to form a new California. Sure, the trend is just going to be balkanization, except balkanization will be called Californiaization. Californication. (laughs) For the the Chili Peppers song. Or album? Is there Uh, a song? It's a song, right? uh, It's a song, but also it became a television show, right? About a guy with a large penis? Yes, David. The premise is that David Duchovny listens to the Red Hot Chili Peppers song Californication and uh, puts a sock on his junk, and when he removes it, 
it's grown like Jack and the Beanstalk. Wait, it didn't used to be big, but the sock made it bigger? I've never actually seen this show, John. I, I have no idea. I see. Uh, we hope that you don't have social media in your individual little one-person or crustacean countries. And maybe the only way they communicate, because their borders are so, so fortified. Speaking of communication, did you know that there is a... Uh, the, I thought you were going to make an ill communications reference. I was like, <laughs> well, this show has really gone off the rails. There is no David Duchovny show named after the Beastie Boys record, Ill Communication. But... There is a, uh, the NPR station my sister listens to in Medford, and uh, not just my sister, but omnibus listener Caleb Ringer, who I said I would mention, yeah, uh, is called Jefferson Public Radio. Yeah, right. Well, they, what they... They kind of identify with it, even though it's a, a lost cause, like... Uh, what they figured like out, you know, Confederacy. they used to be a low-power radio station, and as they started to build a big transmitter, because, you know, a low-power station is just like... The, just the campus. The kids on your college, right? Yeah. But as they started to build a big... Uh, transmitter, you know, you, the first thing you do is look at what your, uh, what region, how far you can reach. And they realized that they were transmitting almost exactly to uh, the counties that, that constituted Jefferson State. So they were like, yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're hippies. So they thought that was really funny. They've embraced it. Yeah. Uh, we have embraced social media for some reason. Oh, it's, it's been the doom of our culture, but uh, we're going to ride the horse what brung us here using the handle at Omnibus Project on any social media platform you can think of. Uh, I am at Ken Jennings on Twitter. John is at John Roderick on uh, Instagram. It's currently archaeology of his house cleaning. So the futurelings will be excited uh, to see actual archaeology going on in real time and not thousands of years in the past. Futurelings congregate at our Facebook group under that name where they listen excitedly for the first mention of a dictator I'm not going to name in every episode. Hmm. Guess what? They're out of luck this time. Not <laughs> even going to name Hitler. <laughs> ah, damn it. No, we were so close. We are just like seconds to go. Oh, so close to not mentioning Hitler in this episode. Twice. God, Ken. Uh, and what did I not say yet? Uh, oh, something you can email about, us. Yeah. You can email us at Omnibus Project at How Stuff Works. Uh, physical items, very hard to send through email. Um, you would need that thing from Tron that turns the apple, the orange into pixels. Mm. If you don't have one of those, what you want to do is to put it in a little box and send it to John Roderick's Little Boxes, See mm -hmm. Care of Omnibus Project, PO Box 57744. I think I've been saying it wrong. Care of 55744. It's 55744. Shoreline, Washington, 98155. And you mentioned the future links. I did. Yeah. Probably not enough for them. They love it when we mention them. Well, they're lovable. I love them. I love them so much. They, they kind of hunch up their shoulders like a rabbit that's getting petted when we mention them. <laughs> there are a lot of different people in the future links group, and there and it's you know it, it occasionally divides into factions, like uh, which like I six, like to see. Like the six, uh, they think there'll be six future link Californias in I, that. Group? I think I think the future links are gonna. Some group of future links is going to split off and form a, a future link Facebook group where every post is in swears. <laughs> Swears and dirty talk that are not allowed on the. Uh, it's not allowed on the normal future links page. But if you want to do swears and dirty talk, you're going to have to start your own Reddit or something. Uh, future links and present links to satisfy that one that one guy, Mister Time Travel Paradox. Uh, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea. Although we have a pretty good idea about how long our civilization lasts. You have a pretty good idea. I feel. What's like, your over under right now? Uh, I mean, what do you describe as our civilization? Do I have to pay my son's college tuition? He's a sophomore in, in high school right now. Yes. That's that's a bummer, kind of. Sorry. Actually, there's one. There was a, a girl that got up in a public meeting at one of these Jefferson State, you know, town halls where everybody comes with their open carry, and uh, and their grievance and their grievance, and they they swing their hats in the air and they say, "No more tax." I'm sorry, I don't mean to mischaracterize the people of Northern California as speaking like Yosemite Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but this, Do they have two guns in their belt? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this girl was like, how long before Jefferson State? I don't want to have to pay for college. And it was a, it was a, it was a beautiful thing. I would 
to say most of the people in that room are not overly troubled by the idea of paying for college. Well, and they might not even object to me characterizing them as Yosemite Sam. I mean, he certainly... To, to them, he's the hero. He practices, he has his Second Amendment rights uh, assured. They're like, there's this Democrat bunny mm-hmm. with a New York accent. Who wears eyeshadow, by the way. Who wears no pants, sometimes dresses as a woman. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's pretty clear. So it's it's basically, Jefferson State is basically Elmer Fudd and uh, Yosemite Sam joined together to form a new state. We want to split off from the whole Bugs and Daffy <laughs> part of state. Foghorn Leghorn <laughs> might join too. There's a surprising number of, of uh, Looney Tunes that probably voted for Trump. Yeah, right. Well, and and I'll bet you the coyote, Wiley E. Coyote. The coyote is definitely an Elon Musk libertarian type with all his Acme inventions. Right. It's a, yeah, he is disruptive. But but of course, well, what do you think? Is it where where does the Roadrunner go? Because we know Daffy and Bugs are the living forces of and Tweety Bird are living down in. Uh, Granny voted for Trump, though. What about Sylvester the cat? Sylvester hmm, visits Mexico occasionally and chases Mexican mice around. What if he's yeah, a Trumpy as well? Yeah, I bet he is. I bet he is. I think you could go down through all the Looney Tunes characters and pick which ones live in Jefferson State and which ones live in San Francisco. And I think that's something that our listeners should do and send us a picture of I it. think we need a poll. Let's do a poll. Yeah. I think it'll, I think let someone else do a poll and we'll watch it with great, great enjoyment. Uh, actually, they, no one will ever do this because no one is listening to this like nine minute outro. <laughs> no, no one is ever going to hear anything we're saying right now. So now's the time to say what you really think about uh, different races or religions. I want a white homeland. <laughs> uh, if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. Uh, and I, hopefully that last sentence will not be my final word. <laughs> On your tombstone. <laughs> Please, if I run for office, do not take that one uh, ejaculation out of context and put it uh, on a permanent loop on my Facebook feed. I don't want a white <laughs> homeland. <laughs> uh, but if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>